Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you again so much for our time together. Well, we have been praying for life to return to normal, and we had floods, and we had traffic jams. I would say life returned to normal. Now, forgive me, I'm being a little facetious this morning, but things are beginning to return to normal, and for that, we're very, very thankful to God. I have good news for you today. Uh, our continued drop in our people who are no work, no pay is now down to 11%. Uh, we still have 1% who have lost their jobs. Everybody else is either working from home and getting paid or back in their offices. Think about 55% now are working from their offices now. So we, we keep this monitored as we call around our members. That way we know how to pray. So we're very thankful that more and more of our people are being recalled back to work and we're excited about God's blessings upon your life. Father, we come to you today. We don't come with requests today, Lord. We just come to say thank you. Thank you for the jobs for our people. Thank you, Father, for how you have provided all during these, the strangest time that our lives have ever been through. We've never seen anything or heard anything like this in our whole lives. But God, you have been with us and you have walked with us. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, we still have a lot of our people that still need to get back to work. Father, in Jesus' name, open the doors. And Father, we have jeepney drivers. Lord, they've just been told their jeeps are phased out and they're not even gonna be able to use them again. Father, I ask that you create new opportunities and new jobs for them. Father, there are men that have given their whole lives to repairing jeeps and driving their jeeps and they've built a small fleet over the years and you bless the work of their hands. Lord, don't let that thing come to nothing. Father, turn this into a blessing in Jesus' name. Turn this into a blessing, Father. Take what was meant to hurt and turn it into a tremendous blessing for their families in Jesus' name. For that 1% of our people, Lord, that have lost their jobs, we ask for new jobs, greater opportunities, even with promotions and salary increases. Provide for them, Father. And Lord, we thank you that you have been good to us. We come and we just say thank you. When we look back, if you would have told us at the beginning how long this would last and how long we'd have to go, we would have never thought we could make it. But Father, you have walked with us. Family after family, you have put food on their table every night. The children have gone to bed with full bellies, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Kids did not go to bed crying. They went to bed with full bellies. We are thankful to you for that, Father. We thank you that you didn't just walk away and leave us to our own devices, but you walked with us. You've stood with us. You've been with us. You're not a fair-weather friend, Lord. You're a friend that's ticketh closer than a brother. And we come to say thank you this morning. Lord, for those that are going off to work today, we ask that you provide transportation. And Lord, again, we continue to pray for the wealth of the wicked to be transferred to the righteous, especially when it comes to transportation. Father, for cars to be sold at half price. For people who just can't make the payments, Lord, that wealth be transferred to the righteous. Our families get good transportation where they're not dependent upon anybody. And Father, we need a place to park them too. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've got a beautiful Psalms 91 recitation today, and I love it that the kids are doing this. And parents, it's so important. Have your kids memorize this. 
Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You don't want the kids to be afraid. They hear all the talk and they internalize it all. And then one day you hear, mommy, are we all going to die? And you go, where'd that come from? It's been growing for a while. Get the word into them. Let faith grow in their hearts. All right, John. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91. Amen. Now, many of our parents have been contacting us. I think another 25 contacted us yesterday about Abeka. Now, we do not have a school, but we are a facilitator of an Abeka, Abeka homeschool project. Now, homeschooling, well, we still have teachers every day in the classrooms and guiding them and things like that. Parents need to be involved. But many of you are concerned because classes aren't going to open. They say no, school, no vaccine, no face-to-face -face classes. Well, we are all set up. The Becca program is designed for both at home or in the classroom. Uh, their books are set up. The curriculum is all on video already. Everything is designed for this. Our teachers will zoom in to help the, the students with their classes every day, and we can have a great time together. But now this is for COP members. I, please, I'm not being exclusive, but we have to focus on taking care of our own people first. All right. Now, um, there is uh, there is a there are two negatives to the Abeka project, all right? Because Shasha went through it after eighth grade, and so I know the thing very well. There are two negatives. Number one, it's very very advanced. So joining it partway through takes about at least one semester to catch up. Now we try to do a little bit during the summer holidays to try to uh, help the students to catch up before they come in for the first time, but it still takes about a semester because the curriculum is quite advanced. That's why we don't encourage high school students to come in. We encourage them before high school to come in. The other negative, and by advanced, yes, that, Pastor, how is that a negative? Well, because it takes some pretty good adjustment at first because it is a pretty, pretty advanced curriculum. The, the other negative is rah-rah America. And Shasha and I used to laugh about it all the time. Uh, so we have to 
Philippineize it, all right? So we have to teach all of the curriculum that they have because that's what the exams are based on. And then we put in our Tagalog classes and our Philippine history classes, and we put in some Chinese Chinese language classes, and we do some things like that to, to bring it more to us. But the kids get a tremendous degree. Uh, the kids come out of there, full scholarships. And we have one university here in Manila that offers full scholarships to any of our graduates. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty good curriculum. So if you'd like to be a part of it, uh, the advertisement is up there right now. You can contact Sister Donna uh, on Saturday morning. That's tomorrow morning. Uh, they'll be doing a Zoom conference with prospective parents. So if you would tie into that right away, we'll leave that screen up there for just a minute for you. All right, just leave it up there, Brother John, for just a minute while so I can get the information. Also, you can get a picture of it. That's the easiest way to do it, Deepa. Also, this weekend, we're back in our drive-in services. Did I say you can't get out of your car? Did I remind you that you can't get out of your car? All right. So you'll, as you drive in, we'll hand you your communion cups. We'll hand you the offering envelopes just right as you drive in because we can only have 10 workers on the complex. All right. So 10 people. 10 ushers and everything, handling everything. So 10, that includes me, the singers, you name it, okay? We can only have 10 to stay within the government guidelines. You can't get out of the car to go to the CR, so we keep the service to about one hour, but uh, we still have a few slots available on Saturday morning at 7.30. Sunday morning at, at 7.30 is completely full, and we still have a few slots, not a lot, but a few slots in the 9.30 service on Sunday morning, though it will be getting a little warmer by then. But you know what? With these clouds, it might be just a very pleasant time. So you honk to say praise the Lord, and you honk to say hallelujah. Uh, so we, we have a good time with it. Make sure you learn, and I did not tell you this last week, make sure that you learn how to tune your FM transmitter on your car. Some of the newer, fancier cars, it's a little harder to tune. They don't tune like the old ones, all right? So make sure you know how to tune your transmitter because we'll give you an FM station uh, ID as you, walk, as you drive in. And uh, we have a small FM transmitter set up that just covers the parking lot. And we'll have a wonderful service together. So we'll see you then. All right, we've got a great testimony for you about how God's blessing our businesses. Good day, COP. I'm Simonette Briones, a part of HDC Choir Ministry. We are her daughter, Jessie, Joey, and we are part of the ushering ministry. We are all Connect Group leaders. God is a way maker and a promise keeper. Praise God. During lockdown, our businesses stopped. Kasi yun lang po yung pinagkukunan namin ng sources of income. And I pray to the Lord na ma-reopen po ang aming business. And God's answers my prayer. Nag-provide pong Panginoon ng transportation para makuha po namin ang aming paninda. Praise the Lord kasi naging 3 to 4 falls po yung benta namin ngayong GCQ. God is good. Sabi nga po sa Mark 11, 24, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. God bless you, OP! Uh, I'm so proud of our people. In the early days of the lockdown, I said, now listen, God is not going to bless the sitting on our butt. God's going to bless the work of our hands. So let's look around for something to do. What talent, what abilities do we have? And I have been so proud of you. I mean, making face masks, making face shields, selling food. It has just been, it has just been such a blessing to me to watch the entrepreneurship of our people. It is, and the creativity of our people. My goodness gracious. Folks, I'm so proud of you. 
Yes, God has been with us and God has blessed us, but you've given him work of your hands to bless. And so I look at you and I, I give you double salutes. It's, this has not been an easy time, but I, I like those things I've been seeing on Facebook lately. And yes, I have been looking at Facebook more during this lockdown period because it helps me monitor how people are doing. But I, I love the thing that would say, you know, in America, they cry out, uh, we're going to die. And in China, they say we're dying. And they list all these responses of other nations to the COVID-19. And then they get down to us in the Philippines and they give an advertisement for, OK, we're, we're selling this and we're selling this and we're selling this and we're selling this. And I'm going, yeah, that's us. You cannot keep us down. So, yeah, I'm very proud. Proud of your faithfulness, proud of your hard work, proud of your entrepreneurship and your creativity. Ah, oh, you're amazing. God has been with us, but you're awesome. All right, we want to get today into Acts chapter 8. We're going to finish this very long recorded sermon that we have of one of the first seven deacons in the church. So he has been brought before the Sanhedrin standing probably in literally the exact footsteps where Jesus stood, because whenever the Sanhedrin brought people in, they had one place where they stood. So he's standing right where Jesus' feet has stood when they pronounced the death sentence on him. And he's preaching this incredible sermon, and he's doing this beautiful recitation of all of God's dealing with the people of Israel. And, now, and they're all just, yeah, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah, 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 this is good stuff. Remember, Stephen is a Hellenistic Jew. He's not a Hebraic Jew. He's a Hellenistic Jew, probably from the synagogue of the freedmen. All right? So for a Greek Jew to be giving this incredible recitation of God's relationship with the people, they were spellbound by it. Verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. I like that. He, he built the tabernacle according to the pattern, because Hebrews teaches us it was a type and a symbol of the heavenly holy of holies. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in, the tabernacle of the wilderness, brought it in with Joshua when they disposed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David. So the tabernacle of the wilderness was where God was worshipped until the days of David. Now, the majority of that time, remember, the tabernacle was set up at Shiloh. In fact, some years we're able to get to Shiloh. Some years it's kind of cold and wet. We can't get to Shiloh. But the years when we go to Israel, we get to Shiloh. It's, it's an amazing place where all the hills surround this area. And they have identified exactly where the tabernacle was, was built or where it was set up. And it's, it's an absolutely beautiful situation to see. 350 years, that's where Eli was. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of the Lord and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Um, you can't put God in a house, okay? He's, he's bigger than the universe. You gotta just get... Our brains just can't comprehend God. All right, let me just... I can't comprehend how big God is. 
I can't comprehend the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God, the infinite power of God. I can't even comprehend the fact that, that he does not live in linear time. Yeah, the, there was a book many years ago when I was a young man that was read, How Big, How Big Is Your God? And, and I can remember thinking, well, I don't know. And it's, the more you read in scriptures, you have a big God. Now, at this point, verse 51, it's like a switch turns. To this point, everybody's going, yeah, 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 this is good stuff. Yeah, 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 this is good stuff. Oh, my, yes. Everybody is in agreement. And now, the switch turns. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you will always resist the Holy Spirit. What? Now, at this point, every eye is fastened on him and every ear is tuned in. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. Wow. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Now, he just, he just lays into them now takes the scripture and says, hey, you need to face your sins. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. You know, I've always taught you that when you hear truth, it either makes you glad or it makes you mad. It doesn't hit you neutral. Now, now there is a style of preaching today where pastors have learned how to present things in a way that, that never hits people one way or the other. It's very, it's kind of like jello, all right? But truth is not like jello. Real truth is not like jello. It either makes you glad or it makes you mad. And they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, why did God open heaven and let him see in? Because this man's about to die. And he knows it. He looks into heaven and he sees the throne of God. And he doesn't see Jesus seated at the right hand. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Standing in respect. Standing in honor of this martyr. One of the things you're going to have to understand in persecution. Jesus doesn't just sit there and go, yeah, whatever. When Jesus sees people being martyred, and right now, I, ju I just read a story from some friends in Africa. Uh, another Christian couple were murdered. And they had just made the mistake of renting a house and moving into a Muslim neighborhood. And they were shot by the neighbors. Now, I got news for you. To this day, Jesus stands to receive martyrs. We, we live in the Philippines where there is no persecution of our faith. I mean, good grief. We've got the freest religious nation in the universe. But in other nations around the world right now, China just took 200 crosses off of churches last week. Just They don't want to see the cross. You know, next time you complain about the Philippines, maybe get down on the ground and kiss the ground and thank God for our nation. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Now remember, they're in the temple. They're in 
stone chamber where the Sanhedrin meets. They cast him out of the city. They took him out of the city gates and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now Saul was a young man who obviously was a member of the Sanhedrin because he stood there as the official witness. So this is a young, new member of the Sanhedrin, sort of see, to use the British terms, he was a backseater. He was sitting in some of the back seats of the, of the, of the chamber. So he's there as a witness. He had been there watching Jesus sentenced, and now he watches this man, and he's listened to the words of this man. And when they were stoning Stephen, they called out, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In other words, he wasn't going to wait until the stones killed him. Jesus, just receive my spirit right now. Let me just come to heaven right now. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Now, I don't believe the stones killed him that day. Jesus took the martyr home. Lord, receive my spirit. Just like he had heard Jesus on the cross. He imitates the Savior in times of persecution. I sometimes wonder if persecution ever came to our beloved nation, and please may it never happen. Would we die well? <laughs> There's a thought. Would we die well? Would, would we die with the same dignity and faith that this man died with? Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Isn't it amazing? He approved of this. And there arose on that day, the day that Stephen died, it's like a spirit changed. It's like a switch change in the, in the spiritual atmosphere. On that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. Now, you need to understand, folks, there are switches that turn in spiritual atmospheres. Some of that is a replacement of demons. You go back to Daniel, you see one demon is replaced by another demon. Territorial spirits are changing. And there's a total change of the atmosphere. That day, the atmosphere changed. And a great persecution against the church. And remember, to this point, they had favor with all the people. Remember, to this point, chapter 5, everyone respected them, but they dared not join them. They had great favor with the people. But at this point, a switch turns. And a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered. And they were all scattered. Now, notice the word all. In fact, I need to circle that in my Bible. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So everybody is gone but the apostles. You talk about reverse church growth. On one day, the apostles were working like dogs, preaching in the temple courts in the morning and house to house in the afternoon, unable to keep up with the work, unable to keep up with the distribution of food to the poor. I mean, on one day, they're working like dogs. And the next day, well, I, <laughs> I cannot even imagine what the apostles went through. As they were sitting there looking at each other, well, what are we going to do today? There's nobody left. There's nobody to preach to in the temple. There, there's no, nobody's homes to go visit and pray for and preach the gospel in the homes. There's, there's no widows to distribute to. Wow all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Talk about reverse church growth. 
the apostles suddenly had nothing to do. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So not only was the gospel preached house to house, but now Saul went house to house with persecution. Now, beloved, can you imagine? Can you imagine the change? On one day, they're held in high respect by all the people. And on the next day, Saul, with probably soldiers, or excuse me, probably, uh, well, yes, soldiers, but guards from the temple courts, was breaking into people's houses and dragging people off and putting them in prison simply because they named the name Jesus. That's how quickly life changes. Now, we saw how quickly life changes during a COVID-19, but this is how quickly life changes when there is a change in the spiritual atmosphere. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. to share a new song to you but before that let me share to you in Romans 8:28 it says there for we know that in all things God works for those who love him Amen. you know what God's word is powerful and alive in our lives yeah. and his word works in our lives it works for our sake amen. amen do you believe that God's word works for our sake amen. and you know what we want to teach you an African word and that African word is onaga. onaga. Say it with me. Onaga. Onaga. Onaga means it's working. Say it with me. It's, it's working. working. It's working. So onaga means it's working. Say it with me. Onaga. Onaga. It's working. It's working. Yes. In Tagalog, what's the Tagalog word of it's working? What, what, what? Gumagana. Say it with me. Gumagana. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
of the Lord is yes, it working? Is it working? Is it working? I feel like swimming. I feel like drowning. Oh, children of God, will you shout hallelujah? Shout hallelujah to the Lord. Everybody say. That's another one of our wonderful songs that we learned in Africa. Now, you notice that we sing a lot of the African worship songs these days because they're full of joy and they're full of the word and they're focused on God. So, and please forgive me for saying this, and you can get mad at me if you want, but so much of the Western Christian music today is so sad and so depressed. And even if the words are good, they sing it with such a lament. That you go, grabi talaga, pakat walang joy of salvation. I mean, just, oh, ra when the Africans sing. They're like us. They're full of the joy of salvation. It's one of the reasons we enjoy being around our African friends so much. All right. We want to pick up today in 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, now that's Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes, that's in the southern part, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, that's the northern part and the ten tribes. Always keep this straight in your mind. And he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother. So, okay, he was bad, but not as bad as his mom and dad. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, and he did not depart from it. Now, what was Jeroboam's sin? He built temples. He set up a false priesthood. He set up false prophets. He set up false worship days, false festival days. He set up the uh, calves, the golden calves in uh, Dan and, and down in Bethel. I mean, he he clung to those things. Sometimes it's amazing to me how people cling to cultural sins. They just cling to cultural sins. I mean, you know, even here in our own beloved nation, there are, are churches that they want to do the, the dances that they use in Ifagao before they sacrifice the chickens and things and, and do the, the, the bloody sacrifices and the old animism practices. And they want to do those same dances and chants and things in church. They're clinging to the cultural sins. See, folks, you got to understand, 
First and foremost, we are Havanians. We are citizens of heaven. And there is a culture of heaven that we partake of and that we, we cling to. We don't cling to the culture of our family and the culture of our nation. We, we cling to our culture of heaven. Verse 4, Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had delivered to the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab, that's the king of the northern ten tribes, when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. So he mustered the ten tribes. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the two tribes. And the king, he said, the king of Joab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, By which way shall we march? And Jehoram answered, By way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So three kings joined together to attack Moab. And when they did, they made, they made a circulous march of seven days. There was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. I mean, here he is, Mr. Depressed, all right? Now, Jehoshaphat, this is the king of Judah and Benjamin. Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Now, you've heard that phrase before. Because in 1 Kings 22, verse 7, and I make that little note in my column, he asked the same question. Is there no prophet of the Lord through here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Now, again, a man who has no relation with God is just depressed. A man who has a relationship with God says, let's inquire of the Lord. There's the difference. And one of the king's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now notice, they went down to him. They did not summon him to them. They went to him. Now, that, that's one of the things, young pastors, you need to learn. You should not be chasing after the rich and influential. There should be such a word of God with you that they come to you. Ah. And Elijah said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. He, he just looks at the king of Israel, the ten tribes. He said, What have I to do with you? I mean, what am I supposed to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. Go to all your false prophets. You have no walk with God. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord the host lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would have neither looked at you nor seen nor see you. Wow. And did you hear what God said? God said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Here a prophet of God looks at a king and says, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I would not look at you. I would not see you. I would just completely ignore you. But now, bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now, that's something that you need to begin to understand. Music and prophecy flow together. There is something about music 
when worship begins to come, God inhabits the praises of his people. When music and worship begins to be done, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. But thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but the stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of God. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. <laughs> he said, this isn't hard for God. This is, this is nothing. And you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and you shall fell every good tree and sop up all the springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning, about the time of the offering, the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. Came out of those hills, just came right down to the stream beds to them. When all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all of them were, who were able to put on armor, from the youngest to the oldest, were called out and were drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. Now then, Moab, to the spoil! And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward, striking the Moabites as they went. And they overthrew the cities, and on every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered. They stopped up every spring of water and felled all the good trees, till only its stones were left in, Ke in Kir Haresh. And the slingers surrounded and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through, opposite the king of Edom, but he could not. So notice, he chose the weakest link. He took 700 best swordsmen to break out of the city, and he could not. Now, at this point, he's trapped. But notice his strategy. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. He sacrificed his son, burned him alive on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from there and returned to their own land. Now, what happened? This king knew how to manipulate people. He burned his own son alive. And those people thought, this is our future. Such rage came up within these people. You know, you can't defeat people who have just gone berserk. You can kill them, but you can't defeat them. And literally, the city went berserk. Now, you had to be careful when people stir up the emotions of a crowd. You just have to, you can't, you can't stop it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now we get into a familiar tale. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So notice, we have a preacher in debt. We have a pastor, a prophet, who is in debt. And he dies. Well, you know, in those days when you died, your debts weren't canceled. You know, like the credit card companies today, in event of death, your credit cards are canceled. The debt is canceled and things. Well, that wasn't so in those days. If you died and there were debts, they took your children as slaves. Elisha said to her, 
what shall I do for you? He said, tell me what you, you, she said, he said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. That's all I got, one jar of oil. No, no, no flour to make anything with, no meat, no gulai, just, just one jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Now notice, he told her, you get out of debt by increasing your capacity. You get out of debt by increasing a capacity. Now, notice he did not say, go borrow on your credit card, go buy a bunch of stuff, go, go to the market and buy a bunch of uh, uh, big, big oil barrels and put them on your credit. You know, everybody loves you because your husband was a pastor. So he did not tell her to go in debt. He just said, go to your neighbors and borrow some big jars. Increase your capacity. Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. He did not say go buy them in the market and go in debt. Empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as they poured the vessels, they brought the vessels to her. She poured as they brought the vessels to her. Now notice, she poured as they brought the vessels to her. The family worked together. Now, some of you families this morning, please, you're not going to get out of debt until you pull together. You know, mom and dad can do some things, but young people, you got to help. You know, maybe mom will be cooking and young people, you'll be delivering food to somebody. Maybe mom will be sewing and making face masks and you'll be delivering them to people. But the family's got to work together. If you're going to get out of debt, the family has to pull together. Let me say that again. If you're going to get out of debt, the family has to pull together. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. So notice when capacity is reached, miracles stop. Ah, when capacity is reached, miracles stop. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. And notice, he did not say, go have a feast and feed all of your relatives. He said, sell the oil, pay the debts. He didn't say, set the oil up as a shrine and sell tickets to everybody to see the miracle oil. He said, no, no, sell the oil. See, some of you, God gives you a miracle and you get so attached to it that you can't let it go. And God says, sell it. Now, some people look at my life and they go, Pastor Summerall, you're not attached to things. No, sell it. Not a problem. Pastor, God gave you that car. That was a great miracle. Yeah, sell it. <laughs> I've had people walk up and give me solid gold watches. Sell it. Put it in the building program. You see, at some point you've got to realize it was given to you to provide, not given to you to remember. Ah, some of you, God miraculously gave you a house and lot. And now God is saying, sell it, because you can make so much money. And you can go buy another house that's bigger and nicer. Sell it. <laughs> go sell the oil. And notice the first thing you do with the money, you don't go enjoy, you don't go 
to Universal Studios. You don't go to Disneyland. Pay your debts. First thing you do when you have cash, pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. But the first priority, pay your debts. Now, now brothers and sisters, please hear me on this. You're, you're never going to get out of debt rolling debt. I, I know Western business finance has been taught here in the Philippines. I was schooled in it as a young man and made all of my mistakes in it. But at some point, you've got to realize you can't just roll debt. You have to pay it off. And when God gives you a blessing, don't use it to do something else that you've always dreamed of. Pay the debt. Get out from under the bondage of debt. And then what's left over, you can live with. Verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God, who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put up there a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him, and he said to her, Say now to her, See what you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? In other words, he does not want any utang nang lao. He's not a taker. See, I've seen preachers use this passage on the Shunammite woman, and, and it's all about taking. It's not about taking. He said, listen, what can be done for you? Elisha was not a taker. Say now to her, see, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, another she stood in the doorway. She didn't come into his room. She stood in the doorway. My, my grandfather had what I call grandpa's ethics, grandpa's rules. And one of those rules was a woman is never in a room alone with you. She stood in the doorway. And at this, he, and, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said to him, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha said to her. Verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And his father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Now, can you imagine this woman all of her life, no, no child, and now she has her son, and he dies in her arms. You can imagine the emotions that filled her heart. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back. And the husband said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, All is well. Now listen to her speak faith. She didn't just say, Our baby died. No, she controlled her emotions and her heart was filled with faith. All is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, 
urge the animal on and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, now he said, how could he see her coming? Because Mount Carmel is way up, okay, it's tall. You can see her coming from a long distance. Look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is it all well with your husband? Is it all well with your child? And she answered, all is well. Listen to the faith of this woman. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone, for she's in bitter distress. So she's been controlling her mouth. She's in bitter distress, but she is controlling her emotions and controlling her mouth. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, now notice, he doesn't even wait for this woman to keep speaking. He said to Gehazi, take up your garment, tie up your garment, and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet them, and if anyone greets you, do not reply, and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead, and he laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. Then Elisha came into the house, and he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and lay and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands in his hands, and he stretched out himself on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went out and stretched himself on the child. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. That's an incredible miracle. Verse 38. And Elisha came to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. So remember, famine, no food. And there were the sons of the prophets sitting before him. And he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So again, you're, you're feeding people in a famine. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs, and he found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out for some of the men to eat. But while they were eating the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there's death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Now again, famine, okay? No food, famine. They've got a pot of stew to eat. He said, then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. You don't waste food in a time of famine. You have a miracle. And a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread from the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Again, this is the time of famine. Somebody brought food. And Elijah said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. 
So they set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. So you, you wonder, you know, you, some people think that the first multiplication of food was Jesus there at the shores of the Galilee. But here we find the same thing happening. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.